Welcome to Authors Matters, a podcast from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. I'm Caroline Sanderson, and I'm a writer and books journalist. In this episode of Authors Matters, we talk to Connor Allen. Connor is the current Children's Laureate for Wales. Born in Newport, he grew up on a council estate and wrote his first story there at the age of 10. His teenage years inspired the writing of his grime theatre mashup, The Making of a Monster, which was performed to huge acclaim at Wales's Millennium Centre. He developed the same story as a radio play in which he himself stars. First aired on BBC Radio 4 in summer 2022, it went on to win him the 2023 Emerson Award for the best original script for a writer new to radio. Connor is also the author of two poetry collections, Dominoes for adults and Miracles for children. Connor, welcome to Authors Matters. I know that your role as Children's Laureate has involved grassroots work with hundreds of kids right across Wales. What was your own Welsh childhood like? Well, the opening poem from Domino's is Ham and Drive, isn't it? That's all about my estate um, growing up and that sense of community. And my childhood was filled with, I think, so much family, by put family in like quotations, because it was like, my next door neighbours are family, you know, like my auntie up the road is family, even though she's not auntie, you know, it's it's that sense of community, I think. Um, yeah, so my childhood was really, there was that aspect of it, which was lovely. Um, but then also there was that aspect of, I think, like growing up, you know, with an absent father, being mixed race, the confusion, you know, so it was, there was a balance of love and confusion, I think. So I, I believe that Harry Potter was a central inspiration in you beginning to write yourself. Indeed. Tell us about that. Yeah, so so obviously it was just mum, me, my mum and my little brother growing up. And um, mum wasn't very, like, wealthy. So we went on a day trip to a theme park and it was on a coach on the way back then. So it was like, you know, three, four hour coach trip to keep me occupied. Mum bought me like a little notebook and um i literally just sat on the on the coach and just wrote my first story and because i loved harry potter so much it was like just this uh, fan fiction piece about harry potter and the underground castle yeah so that was like my first story that i ever wrote and then i remember i brought it back and my mum's best friend shelly um she was like oh my look at him he's wrote a story and he's got all these big words in there and yeah <laughs> so that was like my first my first ever piece i guess i wrote yeah, it's amazing the effect that Harry Potter had. I think your mum was one of those people who kind of queued up to get the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So always like that. We we obviously mum couldn't really afford, you know, like an eclectic mix of like big bookshelves in the house. Um, so my local library, Carnegie Library, I remember I had a gold membership at one point, you know, a little <laughs> gold card because I was always borrowing books from there. And um, But the, the books that she always got me were Harry Potter. Yeah, she'd queue up with Woolworths. I always remember it was Woolworths back in the day midnight she'd get a book bring it home and yeah you know and I would just sit in bed read it and yeah that was that you know when you resonate with something as a child but you don't really understand why you're resonating with it and then now that you're older you fully understand of course it makes sense you know there was this kid called Harry who didn't fit in and he was talking to snakes and everyone looked at him different and I guess you know growing up very light skin mixed race you know in a it's like I always say, I was too white for my black friends, but too black for my white friends. So where do I fit in, you know? And, and I just guess I found that relatability with our Harry. And um, yeah, just wanting to, I guess, escape from that, like, you know, muggle world, as as JK put it. Like. And in terms of poetry, I understand that you've long found inspiration in lyrics, rap and grime lyrics. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, which artist most inspired you with their choice of words? Because it's the, the words are so alive in, what? in a lot of that music. Now or growing up? Well, maybe growing up. I always think like Skepta for me was always a, like a, a massive influence growing up because like Skepta's greatest hits came out. What was it? Oh, I want to say oh seven, and that was around about the time you know in my teenagers where like I fully had that like affiliation with grime music, you know. And I always remember one of the one of the songs is the journey, and he's literally talking. The whole song is about like his journey from literally being a tadpole to like growing up, then to be scared, you know. And he just takes you on this whole journey through words, and it blew my mind. I was like, he's telling a whole story in the space of three minutes. Yeah, it just blew my mind. And then like you've got the wordplay of like I spy and you know, so I think Skepta for me really drew me to kind of I guess wordplay and storytelling growing up. And then yeah, you had the likes of Kano, um, and those early wave of grime, you know, um, Dizzy Rascals, Boy in the Corner was like again such a I came to that a lot later, but I always remember, you know, like again listening to Dizzy and he's rapping about, you know, youth culture, knife crime and gang affiliation and, and, and that, you know, it it was just something about the way that they were telling stories back then that I just, I really found an identity with. And I guess when I was searching for an identity, I found that in Harry Potter. And then I found that in grime music, you know, something that I could relate to. So this creativity was bubbling away inside of you, really. But as you've said, you were struggling as well in mm. terms of finding your identity and your place in the world. And you were quite a troubled team. And I know there was a massive wake up call in your life when you received a suspended sentence for assault and battery and GBH. Yeah, GBH. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think you were 15, 16 at that point. Yeah, and 16. It was the beginning of a incredible turnaround for you, really. So... Can you talk a little bit about how you were sort of spurred to turn your life around and the, the role that creativity took played in that as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think the, the pivotal point was having the suspended sentence. So with, I think with the suspended sentence, what that meant was that um, I couldn't get in no trouble for three years, right? So they suspend my sentence for three years and then by the end of the three years, if I'd stayed out of trouble, nothing but a warning, then... Um, you know, they'd wipe my record clean and I'd get a second chance. But if I didn't, then I'd have to spend two years in a juvenile prison and then I'd spend one year in an adult prison. And I think that the looming dread of, like, having to transfer from a juvie to an adult prison and spend the whole year, you know, there, I was like, wow, you know? Yeah, that's, that's big. And then also the faith, I think, that the teachers, so as in the stage version of Monster, there's a scene in there where, like, I'm in the courtroom and I give a letter, you know, to the judge off my teachers. And, and that's based on fact, you know, it's like six teachers from my old school. They wrote an open letter to the judge and attached my grades, my GCSE grades to it and, and was like, this is all of Connor's potential please, like we're pleading with you, don't let him be a part of the juvenile system because all that potential will be gone. And, and my mum seconded that, you know, in the courtroom. And I think just understanding then the belief that they all had in me was a real kind of turning point, like, I guess. And I think that's what really translates then into like my role as children's laureate is empowerment, you know, like their belief empowered me to understand, wow, like these people believe that I can do anything and I have the potential for greatness. And I'm getting given a second chance here, you know, like I should really harness that. And that's why I kind of 
I want to give back to, you know, so many young people now who many people are just shutting them off, you know? And it's like, no, you all have potential. If I didn't have that belief in me, I, you wouldn't have Connor Allen sitting here right now, you know? So it was that moment of understanding that those teachers, as well as my mum, you know, after everything, I guess, that I put her through, then she still sat there believing in me, you know? Like, she didn't give up on me. So I shouldn't really give up on myself, you know? That's so powerful, isn't it? And so in your work as Children's Laureate, it, so many of your poems for young people are about trying to give them that sense of empowerment, but also that sense of possibility. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like life is so precious, you know, and I guess I got given that when I got given that second chance. I've always been like a part of my second chance is to kind of give back and make other people understand that, you know, like we're all miracles because regardless of the stuff that we're going through day by day, everyone's going through stuff. We're human. We feel, you know, we emote. And that's part of being a miracle is that like you can feel and connect with other people who might have different or similar experiences to you. You know, that's why Hamlet and other Shakespearean plays are so kind of like universal because he writes about universal themes, you know, love, loss, betrayal, grief, you know, like why is Hamlet still being performed now? Because you enact that grief that you feel when you lose someone and, and we all feel that. It's a testament, I guess, to Shakespeare's writing but there's also room for new stories to be told, which is still universal. And, and that's where I think like there's an in-between, like paying homage to the past, but respecting the present, you know? Well, it's easy to just talk about the power of poetry, isn't it? The, the power of, of words to sort of resonate, yeah. you know, through the centuries in Shakespeare's case. But, but also I'm interested in how you work with kids to write poetry themselves, because your book Miracles does contain poems written by kids as well that you've encouraged and you've mentored to write. But poetry can be a difficult thing for kids to get into. I mean, we were talking 100%. about you found poetry in those um, rap and grime artists that you yeah. listened to growing up. So how do you approach it with kids to kind of make them think that poetry is a thing and there's something that they might want to do? It is interesting. Every time I do a workshop in a school, I'm always like, I'll start off and I'll be like, okay, kids, like, like what's poetry? Without a doubt, every session, it rhymes. Facts. Like every kid will always say that. When I first got my role as children's laureate, I worked with an amazing poet called Christina Thatcher. Shout out Christina. And we worked kind of together. And I borrowed an exercise off her when I was creating a blueprint of a workshop to take around. And that exercise, it's a simple list poem. Um, but basically, I get the kids to kind of manufacture a graph. So I say, draw two lines going down, one line going across. And I divide your columns, number them, one, two, and three. And we'll start off in column two. And in column two, I want you to, like, you know, you draw four lines going down. So you've got five empty boxes. We start off in box one. You know, so, we're like, we, we craft it, like, step by step. And then in the first box in column two, they write down their favourite season. Then they write down their favourite place. Then they write down their favourite smell. Then their favourite toy. And lastly, their favourite person. And then in column three, we get them writing in one word or one sentence. Tell us why. Why is your favourite season your favourite season? You know, if it's autumn, crunchy leaves. If it's summer, six weeks holidays, etc. And they do that for each one. Why is your favourite place your favourite place? Why is your favourite smell your favourite smell? Favourite toy, favourite toy, favourite person. And then... Last but not least, column one. And you've got two words in column one. Each box, I just mean to write two words, right? I am. And you just see their faces light up when they then start reading it back to themselves. And they're like, because oh, they understand then, oh my God, I've just written a poem, you know? And they didn't even realize that they were doing it. Because as soon as you say, oh, kids, sit down, we're going to write a poem. Oh. Whereas if you, if you craft it in a way that they don't even understand that they're doing it, the empowerment of them being like, oh my God, 
I can write a poem. And I have written a poem, you know, like instead of just being like, so kids, we're gonna we're gonna write a poem now. You know, like you've got then the the history behind poetry, you've got the angst and the the stigmas behind poetry, you know? So it can be off-putting. But then yeah, they read them out and you've got like beautiful I am poems and you can have a classroom of 30 kids, but each poem, you're following the exact same structure, but each poem is different. It's a great method too, because you get to see that poetry is an expression of self so often, yeah, isn't it? I, I always say that. I'm always like poetry is just a creative expression. It's just how you're feeling at this present moment, in this time, in this day. It could be a haiku. It could be half a page. It could be one whole page, you know? I think I've got a poem in Domino's Still Awake, which is about five pages long, you know? So it's like, it can be however you're feeling. And I feel like that's how poetry should be you know because as soon as you say well that's not poetry because it doesn't follow this set structure then it's like you're already creating a stigma you're already creating a detachment from children who are then going to be like but i uh, i can't follow this or i find it off-putting you know mm. and i'm not saying again going back to shakespeare you know like shakespearean sonnets have their place but let's just allow kids to creatively express first and then teach them the kind of the structures in quotations uh like later on you know just allow them that creative expression that freedom to express first because i'm not going to make every kid a poet i'm not naive but if like three or four kids can leave feeling empowered and feeling like i want to write not even poetry but i just want to write my thoughts my feelings i want to write a song i want to write a book i want to write a diary you know like we should write more because, again, it gets to the root of, of the human condition, you know. So just to go back to your own story, The Making of a Monster, your your theatre piece and, and radio play, they're quite different, but it's, it's essentially the same, mainly autobiographical story. Not, yeah. not entirely, but mainly. Yeah. I guess it feels brave to tell that so publicly. What was what was your purpose in doing so? And what was particularly special about doing it for each medium, the theatre and for radio? I mean, you you were in both. You're a trained actor. You did an yeah. acting degree, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, 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 trained actor. I was invited back to my old school for the Leave a Ceremony and I gave a speech there and I kind of directed it more to the kids um, and I, well, to the young people, and I just basically said, "Parents, you've done a great job. Like you've you've got them where they are. They're here. They're leaving high school. Well done. But this isn't for you. This is for them." Uh, and I basically just like you know told them my story briefly, and um, was like, oh, "Look, I got a second chance. So if anything, you know, if Plan A fails, always remember that there's 25 other letters in the alphabet. You know, so like your plans can change. You can come up with new plans, and I'm living proof of that." And so many of the parents and the teachers came up to me afterwards and they were like, thank you so much, Con, like that really resonated. And the teacher said to me that I should, I should work more with like young offenders, right? And then they put me in contact with Literature Wales and um, they got a colleague called Louise, incredible lady. And she basically, we had a coffee, told them my story and she was like, you've inspired me. So uh, yeah, like, what do we need to do? And she had a contact at Park Prison um, in Bridge End, which is like, at the moment, one of the only young offender prisons in, in the UK. And I kind of went in and we had an idea for like a six week project, you know, like just to work with them. More around, I guess, creative expression. And I took inspiration from Alan Bennett's Talking Heads. And I thought, well, let's just do maybe like, you know, creative writing and I'll call it Prison Heads. And, you know, it's, it's all about kind of like 
how they're expressing like where they're at in their life right now. And um, on the first day, I, I went in and I had a, a tour around the prison and I met them. And I always remember, like I say in my blogs, I got back to my car and and I just burst out crying. And, and I sat in my car for like 45 minutes and I just cried my eyes out. And I just wrote so many of my thoughts right there on my phone. And that became the, the basis for my first blog because I thought I was literally on a cliff edge of being right where they are wow like how close I was to to going down a completely different path and I was just so overwhelmed you know and that became the basis of my first blog and then I released my first blog that blew up a few thousand people read it and and then I started getting a few messages from like you know like dads who were like thank you so much for your words like you really made me evaluate my relationship with my daughter and I was like they this isn't for you. Like, what? Like, you know, like my relationship with my father was fractured. So I'm like, what are you messaging me for? And then I then started thinking, it's like, but there's a universality in this, actually. That's what it is. And then off the back of that, then I wrote a few more blogs and it became a series of like understanding, like I am enough and trying to make other people like my brother, like a few of my friends understand no guys like, yeah, we all grew up with absent fathers, but we're all enough and it's their loss, not ours, you know? And um, I did the project in Park Prison and, and it was amazing, you know? And I met some amazing young people there and some who to this day, you know, um, have had such an impact on me because of their stories and just knowing that like, they really took ownership of their own stories and their narrative and really kind of like allowed me to embrace their creativity when I came in and did those sessions is something that I guess like I'll always I'll always have love for and after the working pack and and the blogs then I started understanding yeah there, there's something in my story that is clearly resonating and clearly having that effect on these young people in, in, in juvie on fathers on other people why and then I just started I guess just thinking more about it and in the early days I think it was more about how I had this love of grime music and obviously I'm an actor so I love theatre but I was like how do I take that energy and that culture of grime and just fuse it with theatre in a way that like it's not a it's not a musical or a rapsicle but it's just something different how do I take that and mix it with theatre to create something that is invoking and that's engaging and like fingers crossed touch with the hope that I, I was able to do that you know for so many young people around Wales who were able to watch that and understand that wow you know there's a lot of stuff that I'm going through as a young person but Connor's standing there at 30 years old and he's really turned it around so it gives me hope you know if anything monster gives you hope that second chances exist and we should all embrace that. It's so amazing to hear you talk about that because I think that we can be quite glib when we say things like, oh, the power of stories and yeah, the yeah. importance of stories, the importance of telling stories or hearing the stories of people who are marginalised and underrepresented mm. without really thinking about what that means or can mean in terms of making a difference to people's lives. And I think that that's what you've just articulated yeah. beautifully. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I'm always passionate about that because I'm like... When you're marginalised, you know, there's you're already at a disadvantage because, you know, like your parents or your family might not be earning the same amount as money as someone else or the way society looks at you because or like your, your skin colour is different or the way that people treat you because of your sexuality, you know, like 
there's there's always those factors and if anything then stories are so crucial because they bring us together you can understand i can listen to this story and actually i don't feel that alone anymore because there's someone else who's gone through something very similar to what i'm feeling and there's strength in that because it's representation and that's why representation is so powerful and it's so crucial because you see yourself and if you can see yourself represented then you understand that you belong whether that's in the arts, whether that's just in society, you understand. No, like my voice matters because we're all stories and we should all tell our stories because there's interconnectivity, you know? I'm going to be a bit more prosaic now. So ALCS is an organisation that advocates for writers. Yeah, yeah. And we think a lot about how writers can make a living, how they can be supported as creators. ALCS also advocates for and promotes copyright. So you've talked about the important people in your life who advocated for you uh, when you were in trouble yeah. and stood up for you and spoke mm. out for you and, and, and they helped enable you to have that second chance. In terms of you as a working writer, which yeah, is what yeah. you are now, an award-winning working writer, what are the things or the, the people that have helped you to build and sustain that career? And have you got a sense of the sort of writing world and, you know, how the importance of advocating for for writers and particularly writers like yourself who are doing so much outreach work? I think it's like having that network, especially early on. To network of with. other writers. Yeah, to, you know, to yeah. really support you and really nurture you and hone you so you can understand those things. Like Bryony Kimmins, for example, really, her mentorship, she really pushed me towards, well, you're at this point in your career now, actually, so maybe this is the time you have an acting agent, maybe start trying to feel like a writing agent, you know? So like just having those, I think, like learning from the elders, as I always say, you know, because they've done it. So they knowledge is power. So they can pass down that knowledge. They can power me up so I can be on the same level as them one day, you know. So I'm always like find mentorships, find those people who will nurture you and support you because it is it can be very daunting at times. With radio, for example, they pay you per minute. I was like, what? You pay me per Say that again. It's those things that I'm like, I have no clue about that. But then to have that support that I could like, you know, pop in a group chat, you know, it's those things. So I'm always I'm always advocating, I think, like for writers to try and get representation because then there's less likelihood of being exploited then as well, you know? Because I think especially in the early days, writers, they want experience, of course, you know, you want to build that CV and then, then, then you get exploited because then a lot of companies, a lot of people be like, oh yeah, but you could, we're giving you the exposure. So obviously like we don't need to pay you because you're getting that. So you end up doing a lot of stuff then like, you know, for not much money. You As know? the saying goes, you can die of exposure. See, exactly. And, and that's why like, I'm always blessed that, you know, I'm not just a writer. Like I'm, a, I'm an actor, I'm a poet, I'm... I always say like I'm a multidisciplinary artist, so I'll, I'll take from different disciplines and create what I need to create, you know? So I can take a break from writing and go and act. I can take a break from acting and, and go and write. I can write a play and then act in it myself, you know? Like it's it's a different avenue of I'm not solely just a writer because I, I think it's very hard to sustain just being one thing in the arts. I think you have to have multiple tools in your toolkit to be able to kind of, I guess, sustain a living because the arts is hard. I think so many writers are doing that. Exactly, you know. Mm -hmm. But then I think at what point then are we like, well, 
you shouldn't need to be working a second job to actually pay your bills just so you can write you know like we should have that infrastructure there to be able to support you in a way that actually you can take some time to just go and write and we can pay you you know enough to be able to do that but again it's our cost of living we're in a cost of living crisis isn't it so it's like well actually what can what's going to give because writers are always so underpaid and underutilized that you think well we sometimes without writers and write stories where's the creativity you know so it's like we have to create a, a industry and a society which values that and puts value on that well i think you've articulated beautifully as i said the importance of exactly that creativity but as you say it's about knowing your own value and you making the choices about what you do and you know expecting to be paid for for the work that you do it's just knowing your worth isn't it you know once you know your worth then you're in a position to be like have that confidence and I know especially like that's easy for me to sit here and say that now because I'm in a I'm in a different stratosphere of my career than I was you know six years ago but even then I was like nah I know the time and the dedication that I will give the projects and that's worth more than the 500 pound that you want to pay me for this so no you know but again the way that my career has gone like I'll have side jobs but there's so many different avenues that I have to earn a living I haven't just got to be a writer so for me I'm always like I I understand I'm in a very privileged position of being like well like even during the pandemic I was working in Argos but then I was still writing I was still doing projects I was still you know like I was doing lots of stuff on the side of still working in retail. So it's like I was still earning a living. So it's know your worth is what I always try and say, especially now that I'm in this position in my career of just being like, know your worth and don't be afraid to be like that because there just needs to be, I think, a movement of young artists understanding their value. Now, at the time of our conversation, you've got, I think, just a few short months of your laureateship left so want to wish you all the very best with that shall we finish with a poem with a poem indeed what yeah what poem are you gonna do i'll do knock knock you know it's probably my most famous one knock knock i wonder what's behind this door see i hope it's not remnants of a time before these times that move so fast yet there's fragments of my past that are rooted in pain and there's histories of shame when i travel down memory lane but imagine if behind this door there's potential not purpose because that's what's essential. Because each and every one of us, we all have this magic contained within us to hope and dream of a better future is a must. So turn the handle, unlock the door, travel through, and look upon all those different variations of you. Because there's strength, dreams, creativity, and so much more. It's waiting for each and every one of you behind that door. Colin Allen, thank you so much. Thank you. We aim to reflect the views of a wide variety of authors on our podcast, but their views are, of course, their own. Check out more episodes of Authors Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and please join us next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.